1: This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media. Thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist and Bible teacher, with a straight talking message from the Word.
0: Peter knows Jesus is a king, but he doesn't believe that he's a king who's actually going to suffer.
1: Today with Jeff Vines. Hello and welcome. My name is Bill, and it's such a blessing to be able to join you wherever you are, and to bring you another message from Pastor Jeff. In this episode, Pastor Jeff has a message called Dying to Live. It's about being genuinely happy by dying to our own wants and desires and putting others first with no conditions. He'll be in the book of Mark, chapter eight, verse 27. That's in the New Testament, a short yet powerful passage where Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah. Let's hear from Pastor Jeff now on Today with Jeff Bynes.
0: If you have a Bible, turn over to Mark chapter 8, verse 27. Mark 8, 27. Now let me go back. Let me go back and tell you again what inspired this. The staff and I were sitting around the table one day up in the up in my office thinking about where we're going, where we feel God is leading us. And we began to understand that there's a lot of misunderstandings about who Jesus really is and what he taught. So we wanted to go back to an objective source, go back to a original historian, a guy by the name of Mark who wrote one of the gospels. And thus the series is called Remarkable and rediscover perhaps for the first time who Jesus really is and what he taught. Now as we make our way into this experience Jesus is about to have with the disciples in Mark 8 I just want to give you a little announcement here to set the stage and that is that my my friend Adriana is very close to going home to be with Jesus. I've been in her home the last 3 or 4 days and she's very very close. And I just got to tell you that I'm really going to miss her. And that I don't think I've ever met anybody like her even though she's only 15 years old her faith is incredible. I was over visiting her I think on Tuesday night and I asked the nurses and all of her family members to leave the room so that I could have some time with her and uh, most of the time Adriana is out of it completely she's got the painkiller uh, she's got the uh, medication going into her and she's basically out of it but some sooner or later you know throughout the day she'll wake up and she'll have a good 10 15 minutes and then she'll go back to sleep Well, I'm sitting at her bedside and just reading the Bible and thinking and talking to God. And all of a sudden she says, Pastor Jeff. And it scared the living daylights out of me. And she goes, do you know what this is like? And I mean, she just came from death to life just like that. And I said, what, what? This is like being five years old and being told you're about to go to Disneyland. You know what she's talking about, don't you? She's talking about, I'm about to go to heaven. Why is everybody so sad? Man, this is exciting. And her only complaint is, why has God taken so long? (laughs) Now, how do you do that? She said, Pastor Jeff, I've been having dreams. What kind of dreams are you having? I dream and God talks to me. What does he say to you? He says, I've got a very special place for you, Adriana. I'm just waiting for you. You'll be here soon. (laughs) Really? How do you do that? How can you be facing the worst possible situation in life, death, and still be dancing, shouting, singing? They were up till 4 a.m. because she had a real energetic spurt, I think Wednesday night. And one of our South African young men brought his guitar over and she was singing and dancing in her way of dancing till 4 a.m. in the morning. And then she went back to sleep. How do you do that? You can only do that, folks, when you understand who Jesus truly is, really understand who he is. Because then the worst thing you fear becomes the best thing. Death becomes the time when... You go into the arms of God and everything for which your heart has long becomes a reality. Adriana somehow gets that. She has zero fear. I've never met anybody like this. Zero fear. There, there are letters and cards all over her wall of people writing her about how she's inspiring them. And it's like she's figured out something that the rest of us haven't quite figured out yet. It's like she's got the goods on all of us. It's like she knows what it's all about. And she knows who Jesus really is. And my question to you is, do you? It's the most important question you're you're ever going to be faced with, folks. And before I take you to Mark chapter eight and the question Jesus asked his disciples, I need you to know that Peter is a major character in the story. And you know what? Peter thinks that Jesus is the Messiah But ever since he's been seated on his granddaddy's knee, he's been told that the Messiah, the Christos, the Christ, the anointed one is going to come and his purpose is going to be to set everything right, to restore Israel, to bring them out from under Roman rule and to give them their prominent place in history. So to him, Jesus is a king, an earthly king who's going to be seated on an earthly throne. And so Peter's excited because Jesus to him is about power and authority and about rule. And to be fair, Peter has a vested interest in Jesus because Peter's the leader of the disciples. So if Jesus is going to take the earthly throne, then Peter obviously is going to be his right hand man. And he's going to rise to a position of prominence as well. So yes, Peter loves Jesus, but in a way, Peter's using Jesus for his agenda. Jesus knows this about Peter and wants to clear up a few things. So in verse 27, we began the story. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, well, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. Now look up, right answer, but there's something missed in the translation. It reminds me of that story of Jose Rivera who robbed all those banks down in Texas. I think 15 banks took all the money, the loot, the treasure, uh, fled across the Mexican border down into a small town. Texas hired a Texas marshal to track him down. He goes down into Mexico, can't find him because Jose Rivera knows all the nooks and crannies in which to hide. Finally, he gets some good information and finds or discovers that Jose Rivera is living in a small town. He goes into that small town, meets a lady walking on the road. Excuse me, do you know Jose Rivera? Yes, I do. Do you know where I can find him? Yes, I do. He's in the bar on the corner. Texas Ranger's elated. He goes into the bar. He finds a man. Do you know Jose Rivera? Yes. Do you know where he is? Yes. He's seated at the bar right there. Texas Ranger goes over, grabs Jose Rivera on the shoulder, says, Jose Rivera, I am a Texas Ranger you got one of two choices. You tell me where all the treasure and the loot is, or I'm going to shoot you dead right here on the spot. Jose Rivera looks at the Texas Ranger and says, no speak English. (laughs) The bartender says, I speak English and Spanish. I can translate. The Texas Ranger says, you tell Jose Rivera he's got one of two choices. You tell him he can either give me all the loot and all the money he stole from those banks in Texas, or I'm going to shoot him dead right here on the spot. And the bartender speaks in Spanish to Jose Rivera and says, Jose Rivera in Spanish, he says that you either tell him where all the money in the loot is or he's gonna shoot you dead on the spot. And Jose Rivera says, wait a minute in Spanish, at which point the Texas Ranger cannot understand, but the bartender is fluent. You tell the Texas Ranger to go outside the door of this bar. Go down one mile on the right, there's a big oak tree. Take a right by that oak tree, go down about another 500 meters and he's going to find a well. It's abandoned, take the top off, it's not used and there beneath you will find all the treasure and the loot. And the Texas Marshal's hearing this but not understanding. He looks at the bartender, the bartender looks at the Texas Ranger and says, Jose Rivera says, Jose Rivera says, go ahead and shoot. (laughs) Now you get the point, right? The point is something got lost in the translation. Now, here's the problem with Peter. Peter knows Jesus is a king, but he doesn't believe that he's a king who's actually gonna suffer. So Jesus has to clear it up, and here's what he says in verse 31. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now, you know who Jesus is, right? Right? God in the flesh. And Peter takes God aside and chews him out. He rebukes him. It's the strongest possible word. He says, basically, Jesus, knock it off. You're going to scare the boys. Stop talking this nonsense. I absolutely forbid you to die. Now, just to show you what this is like and how strong and powerful this is, this past week on Wednesday, my wife and I have had a few difficult weeks where we've just been busy every night, it seems like. And we were looking forward for a few days of rest and uh, bumper bag is this weekend. And my wife runs and operates that ministry with the help of her volunteers. So she knew it was going to be a busy weekend. She'll stay here basically all day yesterday, all day today, getting this done. So it's about 530, 6 PM. I just finished reading the rest of Tim Keller's book and I'm just resting on the couch and the doorbell rings. I go to the front door and it is a friend of mine from New Zealand that I have not seen in three years. And as soon as I opened the door and saw his face, the computer in my head brought some information to the front that he had told me about three months ago that he was coming to stay with us for a week. (laughs) Now, I had not passed that information on to my wife. Okay. So I say, Robin, uh, look who's here. And she runs to the door and she sees Colin. and She says, hi, Colin, I see you brought your wife. Yeah, sweetheart, they're going to be staying with us for a week. Now, we already had somebody else in the guest room, and Robin's not prepared anything. Would you like to guess the verbal bashing that I received later on that night? You got no idea. It started with this. How could you do this to me? And it got worse from there. Again, it was a horrible verbal lashing. Its only redeeming factor was I didn't understand most of it. But that's the kind of rebuke I'm talking about. It is the strongest Greek verb possible. It's the word Jesus uses to rebuke the demons and the word most wives use to rebuke their husbands. Now, the question is, the question is, why is Peter so angry? Look at verse 31 again. He then began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed. Now, here's what's angering Peter. It's this idea that he must be killed. Not that he should be killed, could be killed, might be killed. But Jesus is saying to Peter, I have to die. It's the reason I came. I am going to die. Peter's thinking, no, 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 no. You're supposed to rule and we're going to rule with you. In heaven's name, stop talking this nonsense. And the question comes, why did Jesus have to die? Now, I want you to remember something. Are you with me? Stay with me now. When we began this series, I asked you to do me two favors. I said, number one, for those of you who are believers, I want you to pretend like you're approaching Jesus for the first time and you don't know him that well and you're learning about him because familiarity breeds contempt and you can become so familiar that you forget about the punch of the power of the gospel. So I'm gonna ask you to do that, especially today. And then for those of you who are on your journey and you've not decided whether you're gonna receive or reject Christ, I ask you to make sure that before you reject him, that you do so on the basis of knowledge, that you know who Jesus is and what he taught before you reject him. And don't go by the media, go by the Bible, go by an objective source. That is especially important right now because this is where the rubber hits the road. This is the core stuff. And the question is, who is Jesus and why did he have to die? All right. Now to do this, you're going to have to think. I'm going to have to ask you, Oh, but I had a late night last night and I'm really tired. I just want to hear some funny stories and go home. No, 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 no. Listen to me. You've got to follow me, man. This is core stuff. This is the kind of message at which point the spirit of God hovers and moves. Listen, to help you get started, when I first met my wife, Robin, now I had not been interested that much in girls up until this point. I One thing in my life, basketball. Yes, I was young at one point. It's hard to believe, isn't it? And I met Robin at college, at university in the breakfast line. And I noticed something weird was happening to me. My heart was beating really fast and it wasn't an anxiety attack. Actually, it was an anxiety attack. And my palms were sweating and I thought, what is, this is crazy. And it was this girl. I'd never seen anything so beautiful in my life. And I got nervous and tongue twisted and I couldn't talk. And the thing about it is, as we began to date, Robin met a real need in me. Now, every guy wants to be told he's handsome. Robin used to speak my love language. You're so handsome, Jeff. And of course, all, all guys want to hear that, right? And she would leave me these little notes of love all the time. And she'd say, oh, man, Jeff, you're so handsome. I love you. Can't live without. Okay, she didn't say the third thing, but two out of three is not bad. And when I was on a bus, when we we're traveling with the basketball team, Uh, before we went up to Cincinnati or down to Atlanta, wherever we were traveling to play the next game, she would send a messenger with these little heart-shaped notes that would say really nice things to me. And here's the point. Stay with me. I noticed that I was getting something from Robin that met my needs, and that was causing me to fall in love with her. William Vanstone writes a book called The Risk of Love, and he talks about the phenomenology of love, and all of you young ladies who think you're in love need to hear this. He says that all human beings know the difference between true and false love, authentic and fake love. And here's the difference. In false love, your aim is to use the other person to fulfill your happiness. And it's conditional. You'll give your love as long as you're getting what you need from the other person. And you think that's love. It's also non-vulnerable because you will hold things back in case the relationship starts to go south, then you can cut your losses. That's false love. True love, he says, is when your aim is to use yourself for the happiness of the other person because your greatest joy is that person's joy. That's true love. It's like Bruce Almighty. Did you see the movie? One of my favorite movies where Bruce is endowed with the powers of God. And like most men, he uses them first to try to get his girlfriend, Grace, to love him. So he jumps up on the ledge and he says, love me. He's trying to use his God powers. Love me. Of course, God already told him you can't violate free will, so it doesn't work. In the end of the movie, he's in heaven with God, metaphorically speaking. And he says, you know what? I've decided that I love Grace. So much that if being without me and being with somebody else truly makes her happy, that's what I really want for her. And God says, now that's love and sends him back. Now, here's what Vanstone says in his book. He says, surprisingly, and this is hard, so stay with me. No one is fully capable of giving true love. That in all of our relationships, there's a mercenary quality to them. Because we only invest in people where we think we're going to get a good return. And we look to people whose love for us will somehow affirm us and meet our needs. So he ends the book by saying, in the end, we are all grasping for true love, but yet we're incapable of truly giving it. What we need is someone to love us who does not need us. Whose greatest joy will be our joy. But who in heaven's name can love us who doesn't need us? And the answer is... God, remember going back to Genesis three, we're told, let us make man in our own image. God created us not because he needed us, but because he loved us. He wanted to express his love. The essence of God is love. God is love. So he had perfect community in the Trinity. God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy spirit, let us make man in our image. So there's community and diversity and perfect fellowship in the original Trinity, in the Godhead. So he makes us not because he needs us, he makes us because he loves us. So you might get asked, well, why does God create us then and then go to great cost to redeem us by giving us his son when he doesn't need us? And there's only one answer that works and it's because he loves us. Yes, but why did Jesus have to die? To remove all doubt of the depth and the width of God's love that he would sacrifice his only son to bring redemption. In the book of Romans, we're told that very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the Bible says, there's no greater love than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. You with me? I'm with Adriana this past week. It's a night again when I ask everybody to leave the room and I got up on the bed with her and I began to pray and I prayed two things. Number one, I say, God, please heal her. Please, that she could just stand up and walk. I've read about it in the Bible, I've heard about it before. Could you just heal her? But, God, if you choose not to heal her, then would you please take her now? Because she wants to be where you are. No more pain, no more suffering, to be with you. Do you know what happened? As soon as I said that, a thought entered. Now, if you've been a Christian long enough, you learn to discern the voice of God and the spirit of God speaking. And when you pray that intensely, God talks back. Now, it's not audible, but you know it's him. And the thought entered my mind, Jeff, would you trade your life for hers? You're 48 years old. You've lived life. You've got a wife and kids. I've taken good care of you. Now, would you trade your life for this 15 year old's life? Would you take her disease on you and she would live and you would die? Now, the first thing I did is say, Where'd that come from? I don't like that question. (laughs) That's not a fair question. What do you mean? Why does it have to be either or? Why can't we both live? But the point was before I gave my argument back to God, his response was, I did. And that's why she's going to live forever. I gave my life for hers she'll be fine. Either way, she'll live forever. Here's what I've learned in my life, that there's a thousand things I may not ever understand because I'm not God, but it never detracts from the things I do know. And what I do know is Jesus died on the cross. He had to die so that you and I could never doubt His love again. And the cross is still the most recognisable symbol on the planet. And I believe it is because God still speaks that He loves you.
1: It may sound like that is the end of Pastor Jeff's message, but there is more to come. Join me next time to hear the rest of this message on dying to our own wants and desires and putting others first. And more ways we can apply what's in the Bible to our lives today.
0: But here's what is seldom realised. When you forgive, it costs you something. True forgiveness always entails suffering. When somebody has wronged you, the debt does not just vanish.